I want to start off even with what I feel the Lord is doing in our own house, you know. And um, I get to do this a lot of times on Wednesday nights with the group that I take communion with. But one thing that I feel like is happening in us is the maturity of walking in the Spirit and what that looks like. And a lot of what it looks like, as even we're seeing in the teachings um, and, and even in the Old Testament, the walk of Israel was losing our old grids, our old mindsets and ways of seeing things, ways of seeing God and ways of seeing the future. Because there's something to this aspect in the, in the Bible of actually of what vision is and, and having vision and, and being able to see things in the Spirit, having the, as Ephesians says, the eyes of our understanding enlightened, you know. Uh, these, these, these terminologies that are all through the Bible about seeing things through a different lens as we're supposed to. We started that last week in 2 Corinthians 3, how when we read these Old Testament books, you know, the, the, the writer of 2 Corinthians 3, which is Paul, was saying literally people still read them through, the, through a veil, through a lens, and, and the, the antithesis or the removal of that veil is Jesus Christ. We have a different way of seeing the Old Testament now, which they didn't have before. And I did that pretty thorough last week. I won't do it again um, for your sake and mine. But um, we are losing our grids of the misconceptions of who God is in order to have a pe- be a people of vision who step into the things of the kingdom on the earth. And there's so many stories in the Bible. Um, Elisha, the, the great prophet of a double portion of, of Elijah the prophet, you know, when he, when he wanted the mantle of Elijah. He said he wanted a double portion of his, of his anointing, which kind of insulted Elijah. You could tell in, in that writing, but he said, hey, if you see it, you, you, you get it. And so there's this, there's, there's, this, there's this ability to see things that causes us to enter into them. So, so, so often these fallen mentalities of who God is and our, and our victimhood, our victim mentality way of seeing things through life causes us to enter into the fruit of being victims. Whereas seeing things as more than conquerors, as, as, as a good father who's setting us up for success to be the light and the salt of the earth causes us to enter into that reality, man, you know? And so um, we're losing those grids, but I sense there's, there's a mass coordination happening for all those who are walking according to the plans and purposes of the kingdom. As I've prayed for our church and our house, there are so many things that are being coordinate, coordinated even behind the scenes for those who are following through on the plans and purposes of God, being that wholehearted follower, as we talked about Caleb was, how God t- spoke about Caleb and said his heart's different, the spirit within him is different. He's a wholehearted follower. Caleb and Joshua, the only two spies out of the 12, right, that were sent out in Numbers 13, building on our last couple of weeks, that actually had a good report of what the promised land was, that weren't afraid of the Nephilim and the giants, right? And so, excuse me, there's those who have this heart of faith who've lost the filter and grid of a victim or an orphan, but are seeing themselves now as the beloved. The very first thing pronounced at the, at the baptism, this is my beloved son, you know, as the sons and daughters of God himself who are realizing, hey, he's for me, and he goes before me, and he's clearing it out. And so even when he shows me, what, no matter what it looks like, you know, victory is ours. Amen. It's already been accomplished. And so there's a mass coordination, I believe, for those who have that heart of the Lord, that, 
that heart to fully follow through with all things that he has put in front of them, you know? And so uh, the word even that goes with that was the word that Nicole just shared in opening up, which is actually don't be afraid. No matter what, we must never let fear steer us, right? And so in, in, in looking the past two weeks, what, what we've come out of in this past week to two weeks of what we're talking about, even wilder, the wilderness, the, the theme of the wilderness two weeks ago was actually the Lord Jesus in it for 40 days, not eating with the devil and all wild beasts and things. Um, and then last week, we, we started to go into that story of that Numbers 13, right, of the spies, the 12 spies that went in to spy out the land of Canaan, bringing back grapefruits and grapes that were, the, you know, they had to put them on poles because they were so massive. Um, but this is where all the contention started in the wilderness. So I want to jump right back into it, right? And um, hopefully it's not too difficult to follow. Um, and if you've been here, probably not. But, um, you know, we, we heard the story last week of we basically ended with Moses recalling and understanding the heart of God who he truly was because the end of that movie that we watched you know the 12 you know out of the 12 spies 10 of them raised such a ruckus of fear because of the nephilim that were in the promised land that it was started to poison the people right it started that that fear and unbelief became a language and the language of fear and unbelief is complaining and negativity but it, it took a heightened level because it went from being complaining and fearful to being like, hey, let's just kill Moses and Aaron and, you know, and Joshua and Caleb. Let's, just, let's, let's take their voice, the voice of encouragement and moving forward. And if we can just go dead to, deaf to that, you know, maybe we can just have our own comfortable way and go back to Egypt. So they picked the rocks up to stone Moses and Aaron and the other two guys. And next thing you know, Right? The next thing you see is that glory cloud comes down to the tabernacle of meeting. Papa steps in. Hey, put your rocks down, kids. You know what I mean? So Moses comes in and he, and he has dialogue with God in which he recounts and, and, and revisits the glory of God that was revealed to him. The one who's slow to anger. And he comes out with the agenda of forgiveness for the people, which is us. One of the major points of the wilderness, of actually walking with God in the unseen realm, right, is coming to the place where we see nobody as our enemy. Wow. Flesh and blood, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't war against flesh and blood, but against something that's spiritual. And looking at the lessons of the wilderness, we're also looking at the things that are in our own hearts that manifest, not necessarily even through other people, which they do, but the things which in our own hearts manifest sometimes those voices of fear and doubt and insecurity that say, hey, let's turn around and go back to Egypt. It was at least we had bread and we were comfortable. You know what I mean? And God is allowing this to be purged from his people. So there's forgiveness that happens. You know, I told you what my vote would have been. Like kill, a, kill at least 50 or 100 of them just so they know not to mess with me again. You know what I mean? Which he doesn't do that. There's forgiveness that happens for all those people. Well, minus the 10 spies that caused all the problem. They, they, they. They left, the, they left the movie. Um, they're not coming back for next season. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes that, you know. So anyways, you know, what ends up happening is the people of Israel go from there in, in Numbers 14 and have a mind change. And they're like, well, fine, we'll go, and fight the, we'll, we'll go and fight some of the bad guys of the promised land and we'll do it on our own. And Moses is like, don't do it. 
Don't go in there and do that on your own because the Lord's actually not with you. So they tried and they got spanked, a lot of them, and they got beaten. And so now they've come back. Uh, you know, Moses has received more consecration from the Lord, more preparation in Numbers 15. And, it, and, and what the preparation really is, it's like, okay, you know, we've heard basically the penalty. Everybody from 20 years old and up wasn't going to go into the promised land. So all of that, which was doubt, unbelief, fear, that, re- that tried to control the congregation, the people of God, was going to be cut off. And all the believing, all the childlike faith was actually going to step into the promised land. And um, so what ends up happening is the Lord starts speaking to Moses. And then again, we're in a time of preparation. This is what you're going to do when you're in the promised land. This is how you're going to sanctify things. And, uh, but something happens in number 16, which is a great rebellion. And it's quite a hairy story. I will just tell you this. And it's, in, it's, it's interesting. Um, just recapping, first things, let us remember that the wilderness is the walk of the Spirit, where the unseen realm becomes more real than this temporary place that most people call reality, right? It's where we learn the ways of God. That was last week's message. And intimately knowing Him, and we start to understand His purposes in the world. It's a place where there are many tests or trials, but they are not to disqualify us. Rather, they are to help us to shed all of the false identities and the baggage that we've been carrying through life. Yes, much of the wilderness is like the baggage check before the flight. The testing and the trials we face in life are meant to train us in such a way that we can not only can we receive, but we can also be able to adequately uh, maintain and steward the abundance of heaven and the earth. So this is, what, this is our mindset looking to the people of Israel, right? We are actually literally considering and thinking about the preparation that's happening in all of us. Even the trials, even the insecurities that are manifesting, all these things with the understanding. This is called to cause me to enhance my capacity to be able to step into the inheritance of the son or daughter that I am. And not only to receive that inheritance... You know what I mean? But to be able to hold on to it and to thrive and to be, cause, and to be fruitful and multiply. Not to receive some of the benefits of it and then, and then bobble it, but to have the capacity to actually hold it. And, and subsequently to release it and maintain it and steward it as someone who grows heaven and the earth. So we've seen this, this rebellion, this uh, coup um, that's happened where we're like, you know, let's throw rocks at Moses and Aaron and and these guys uh, be forgiven. But in number 16, it comes almost directly back again. This time it's way more organized by somebody named Korah. It says, Korah, um, (coughs) excuse me, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abraham and the sons of Eliab and, 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 on the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So here, goes, here comes Korah. These are actually relatives of Moses too. With, and and they, they actually put together a large group of leaders of leadership. And it's just like, this isn't 10 scared spies and all this stuff. This is a much more organized coup, you know, an upheaval with the same mentality, like this isn't going to work. We need to take these guys out in some other way. 
And this time it's not like let's you know throw rocks at them. You know, it's like let's overthrow them so that we can go back. But also something to really remember here, these people are motivated by the fear of actually going into what God's given them. They're motivated by the fear of the Nephilim, the giants in the clans of the, of the promised land. They're motivated by limiting God or seeing God through a grid that he's not, thinking he's setting them up for failure. And so it says they gathered, these 250 leaders with them gathered against Moses and they said something to him. They said, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is amongst them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? It says, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and his company, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who's his, who's holy, and who, and who will be caused to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Moses is a confident guy. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all of this your company. Put fire in them and put incense before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy, is the one who's set apart to lead. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation to actually bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord? And to stand before the congregation to serve them. And that he's brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren. And are you now seeking the priesthood also? See, Moses goes straight for the root of it. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together actually against the Lord. This isn't me. Again, we don't war against flesh and blood. Moses didn't take this personal at all. Like, you are actually going against God in this. So then Moses called to Dathan... And Abraham, the sons of Eliab, thinking like, you know, he called some more of his crew. And they said, no, we're not coming up. Is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting like a prince over us. So the, the rebellion was a little larger than, than all Moses had expected. Moreover, you haven't even brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey. Nor given us an inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Are you going to put our eyes out like these men? We're not coming up. You're, com- you're calling us in to pluck our eyes out. So this is getting, this is getting yucky. You know? Moses was very angry and he said to the Lord, don't, don't respect their offering. I haven't, taken one, I haven't taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. So that's funny. Kind of dates the book a few thousand years back. I haven't even accepted one of their donkeys, Lord. They haven't bought me. I'm not in their pocket. I'm doing your will. They're acting like I'm up here just profit. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, you know, I think that stuff's funny, but that's, you know, me, I guess. But um, is it a small thing you've brought us up to kill us? So here's the perspective of a victim. Who's, these people, it's like, that's, he hasn't brought you up to get, like, listen, you guys, you guys were brought up, in, you know, you could see the promised land. It was spied out before you. You had the option to go in and you all rebelled and tried to turn around and go backwards because you were so scared. But you want to spin it as if it's Moses' idea and he's actually trying to kill you. And, and, and what's worse than that, in this attempted coup, it's like they had already were, were afraid so they tried to throw stones at him and now they've actually done something different. 
Now they've actually organized this stuff and they've partnered with somebody who is incredibly dangerous by what they're using in its accusation. And this is an aspect of the Christian walk that cannot be amongst us. And that's accusation. That is the title. That's Satan's title. The one who is the accuser of the brethren, the opposer. He is the attorney that convicts. Like, you have this, this, and this. I, and we understand this has been twisted in John 16. And people believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. But this is, this is taken drastically out of context. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth and reproves the world of sin. And, it, and, and it, a convicts is not to accuse them of being sinners. You know, it's actually changing the mind of what unbelief is by demonstrating the reality of heaven. It's just, it's just so, it's just so purely there. And if you're at this house, you've, you've heard that probably too much. So you probably just thought, here he goes, he's doing John 16. I'm not doing it. Not doing it right now. Well, I might need to turn over there. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm not doing that. But, but, but partnering with accusation is a trap. And it is, it is, the, it, is the, it is in the toolbox, it is the weapon of the enemy to destroy the body and to destroy people, accusation is. And it's a projection that manipulates and controls people. And some people live their life, unfortunately, some people receive, you know, they, they're accused, and so they live their life proving that they're not what they're being accused of, which also steers them. You know, and Jesus could have done that. When he was in the wilderness, if you're the son of man, then do this. He could have jumped through hoops to prove that he was who he was, but he was who he was, so he didn't have to prove who he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, hey, I'm not going to be deceived into following you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bet you won't do it. It's like, no, you're not going to dare me to do something and get me to do it. You know? It's just, it's just, it's just not what we do. But it, it is, they've done something dark where they've actually really partnered with manipulation in order to steer. And, and it sounds good. And it sounds good. And this is like the first, this is like the origin of what a church split looks like, to be honest. And it's like, it sounds good. You, you're taking too much upon yourselves. If you just read this in out of, just out of context, you just took this verse out and said, hey, you're taking, too much, you're taking too much upon yourself. The whole congregation has been set apart by the Lord. You know, every, everybody. But then it tags that in, which is like, yeah, like, especially in the New Covenant, we are all set apart of the Lord to function in this walk. But it raises up this, this, the threat of rebellion. Why are you exalting yourself? And it's just like, what? He's just doing his job. And they don't like that he's following the orders that he's following. And he's leading them into something there. And like, this, this is the root. And so they're like, he's, he's doing it to kill us. It's a trap. It's a this, it's a that. It's anything they can do. And, and y'all, this is so poisonous to people. And it spreads, which is why it gets dealt with ruthlessly. For real, yeah, for real. And, um, you know, so Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company come present yourselves before the Lord. And take your censer and, you know, basically we're going we're gonna to bring our, we're going to come and minister before the Lord and see which the Lord, who, who the Lord draws to himself. And um, so according that they all gathered up and, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he said, separate yourselves from the congregation that I can consume. Them. And they, they fell on their, their faces. Here they are interceding in a sense before the Lord again. And the Lord speaks to Moses and he says in verse 24, get away from the tents of Korah 
Dathan and Abraham. Them and basically those people and all their families. So Moses went to those people and Israel followed him. And he spoke to the people and he says, hey, depart from, from the tents of these men. Don't touch anything that's theirs like, because something's about to happen. And Moses says something interesting in verse 28 of number 16. He says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. Like Moses is like, this was not my idea. You know. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they're visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord hasn't sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with all that belongs to them, they go down alive into the pit, then you'll understand that these men have rejected the Lord. I know it sounds so savage, but it's not. It came to pass as he finished speaking these words that the ground itself split up under them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all of their men and all the men that were with Korah and their goods, everyone who sided with them. So those... So they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. They were completely cut off from the congregation of the people of Israel. Yikes, dude. Yikes, wow, man. Man. So the ground opened up and swallows these people. And this thing happens ruthlessly. It's like, well, I knew God was savage. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, no, no. Remember what lens we're looking through this from. 2 Corinthians 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know. So here's people who've literally started to commit murder and have been pardoned, backed away. What's that old saying? If you don't turn from where you're, gonna, where you're going, you're going to get where you're headed. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can only have so many wrong way signs on a road in a cartoon before the cliff just before you fall off the cliff if you keep speeding down it and so here are these people in a god who's slow to angry slow to anger but it's it's more about what they are doing than about who they are and what they are doing it's it's not only their decision to go back they're trying to usurp control in such a profound way that it will steer all of god's people back into bondage and so you see this. This is the mindset of the accuser of the brethren. You can see his voice in it. Yeah. And he's, he's so penetrated the minds and hearts of the people that they've already said, hey, there's a contrary voice to what our will is. Let's stone the four of them and we can go and choose a leader and go back. And they got a spanking for it. You know, Then they went and tried to, to fight a war in their own will and they got a spanking doing that because they were, they were rebellious in their hearts against the Lord's truth and his way. So the round three is like, we're going to organize this coup and we're going to wipe, we're going to take these people out in a religious way. And it's like, this is the third strike. This is way, this is like the 20th strike. You know what I mean? If, if, you're, if you're reading numbers. And they've actually tried, tried to actually take these people out. I love Proverbs 29, verse 1. That's funny. It says, he who is often rebuke and, rebuked and stiffens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And it's just like, he who's often rebuked and stiffens his neck. What is that? It's like, I'm still doing it, man. You know what I mean? Did that look like a stiff neck? It's like, hey, you need to turn around. Oh, yeah? 
not turning. You know what I mean? It's like who's often rebuked. But I love that. It's like he was often rebuked. Yes. It's like the gentleness and the kindness of God. Like, hey, buddy, you need to turn. Hey, buddy, you need to turn. Hey, buddy, you need to turn. And suddenly the ground opens up. <laughs> you know, there goes Cora and all his buddies. You know what I mean? It's just like, listen, how many times do you have to learn? But this is a wilderness walk. And you know, we're, we're a good portion through this book. This, this has happened since Exodus, the maturity of the Christian walk. There's levels to this thing. There's stuff, there's complaining and attitude stuff you can get away with when you're first out there as you're an immature Christian or believer or follower of the Lord, where, you know, stuff happens and, and they're, they're, they're learning the mindset of God. They're turning and choosing to repent. But, but we've already had a coup. We've already had all kinds of stuff. We had water come out of rocks. We've had food that's rained down from us every single day. We've had all these things happen to where all this unbelief and, and criticism and negativity has been purged from the body as it's maturing, going into the promised land to be the leaders, the kings and priests of the world. And now there's another reach to, to grab up and steer the ship and turn it into another way. And it's, it's not going to be allowed to turn people in this. <laughs> this is heavy, but it's all right, you know. I think an overall point about this is like Korah's rebellion. We, you know, we've talked about the wilderness walk as seeing it as a son of God or a prince with God. Yeah. Instead of seeing it as other people. We can see it as, as the unbelief and negativity that sometimes manifests in our heart. And as the goodness of God, hey, we're, caught, we're, we're cutting this stuff off and removing it from us because it's not our true self and we're walking in greater levels of maturity and follow through in what the Lord has for us. But there's something maybe Korah's a little slightly different because to me it's just like it's about choosing a path more than what you're going to tolerate. You know, It's not like shedding. It's like, yo, like there's... There's no room for the voice of the accuser to be used in order to get our way. It's dangerous. You know. I just read that actually this morning. In 1 Peter um, 5, it says, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him and stand in the faith. And it's just like, huh? But, but the devil doesn't really have a mouth. You know, he needs one. He needs a mouth. And he's he, the devil, you know, he prowls around like a roaring lion. But I'm not worried about him biting me at all, really. But, you know, he, he needs a mouth. He needs somebody's offense. He needs somebody disgruntled that he can borrow their tongue and release his poison. And that's what's happening here in the, in the body. In, in, in Okora's uh in verse 49, it says the Korah incident. In the Korah incident of the book of Numbers. I always thought that's so funny. I said, oh yeah, remember the Korah incident? Like, oh yeah, that was a bad deal, you know? But <laughs> it's like, it's the walk of maturity where we're coming to a place where we decide about moving forward or not. You know? That's, this was the last ditch effort for these guys were like, grab the wheel, we're gonna turn this thing around. They've already tried a few times, you know, even... Aaron, Moses' brother and sister had started a bunch of stuff about him early, and they got away with it. Everybody gets away with stuff in the first parts of this book, but it's starting to get to the point where like, now, now, now y'all learn, y'all know enough, and you've experienced God enough, you know, is what was going on. But it's also, man, this book, it's about the maturity, and when you decide the congregation you're actually called to move forward with. Um, 
One path in these paths is like Caleb's heart, the one which wants to follow the Lord fully, to take up the mandate of real Christianity and die to all the fears and self-interests of the world. The other path is choosing to congregate with those who value the comforts of this world rather than moving forward in all of the biblical reality of what God's calls us to walk in. And this path causes, causes us to just disappear into the earth. That's what that is. There's, you know, when we walk according to that will, and I'm not even saying being cut off like getting swallowed in a manhole. If we can look this, you know, parabolically, this is, this is the point of two different churches moving forward. It's one like, we're going to set up a leadership. We're going to set up, we got all these elders. We got, we got a major majority that says you're crazy and you're just trying to trap us and we're not going to listen to these things. We're going to go back towards Egypt and be comfortable. You know what I'm saying? We have theology, we have education, we have all these different things. But, but what, what it ends up doing is it gets swallowed. And what does that mean? It just goes back to just, it, you can't differentiate between them and the world. It just becomes part of this. That's the religious system is core of rebellion, man. It just is. But also, there's so many churches that are literally built on rebellion. You know, we're, 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 we're going to build on what we're, what, well, the church is this. The church is that. You know what I mean? We're not going to be that way. Come join us. Let's rethink this whole thing and do our deal. You know what I mean? There's, there's, we can also be on the whole other side of the tracks and do something out of a rebellion. But here's the thing about the, the church of the Lord and true Christianity is like, we're not raging against the machine. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's right. The machine rages against the light. That's what it is. And it takes its shots. And that's fine. But the light doesn't rage against the machine. It just moves forward. It may be accused of raging against the machine. But this is not that. You know? It's just like the sun doesn't get up and rebuke the darkness. The sun shows up on time every day. And the darkness goes away. You know what I mean? And like we don't use accusation, projection, any of these things as our mantra. As our, as our motives, even sometimes when we've talked about going to the wilderness, what are the things that motivate us in life? You know, sometimes, and we can, we can, there's something of rebellion being routed from the heart of all of the followers of the Lord. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because if, I mean, even like when I was younger, I mean, I, I would have a knee jerk reaction to somebody telling me what to do. Yeah. There was the seeds of rebellion, you know, within me. And some of it, man, some of it for us, it, it's a, it's a, it's a good trait that God wants somebody to have the resolve that will follow him and nothing else. You know? But it's easy to step over the line and be anti the machine. You know what I mean? But when we do that, we're playing on a ground that's not even, that's not even solid. We're playing the enemy with their own tools. And we're not called to do that. You know? We're called to actually live according to the plans and purposes of the kingdom. You know? Like rebellion, it says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, is, is as of the sin of witchcraft. It's just like, what? Like, like a voodoo doll, you mean? Like, well, no, not exactly. Not that that's not real. But like rebellion is literally, it, the root of it is seeking control to steer something by an authority other than the love of the Holy Spirit leading us in our life. Because when the agenda is the love of God, there is no control. It's like freely you've received, so you freely give, like Jesus said. You know what I mean? And that's how we're called to walk. And even the contradiction of those who walk in light versus those who play the game. 
It's not that they stand there with the finger pointed, well, you're just religious and you're this and that. You know what I'm saying? That is the same spirit of accusation that's on the side of the machine. And when Jesus gets pulled into, in front of Caiaphas and the high priests, they made so many things up about him. He said he's going to tear the temple down and all these different things. They took stuff out of context. But what did he say back? He didn't say a darn thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he gets to Pilate, and Pilate's like, are you going to answer anything? Like, you know, this, kind of, this stuff, he knew, like, this is stupid. This is, they're just jealous of you. Are, are you going to say anything? And he, Jesus wouldn't talk. So are you the king of the Jews? And then he'd say, it is as you say. He would confirm truth because that's his nature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, man, that's good. But accusation jumps into the game and fights. Yeah. It defends accusation with accusation. Can you be right? Can you accuse somebody and be right? You can be correct, but not right. Well, you're just saying this because you're jealous and you have this, 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 this. They're just da 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 da. He would have been doing the same thing. He would have been prosecuting them. You know, but guess who he's not? The accuser. There's such a drastic difference, you know what I'm saying, between the sons of light and the manifestation of the dark one. You know what I mean? The manifestation of that jealous root of Cain. You know, I've always loved, maybe I'll kind of close with this, but I've always loved the book of Jude because it uses this story, especially in number 16, um, as a major warning for like the end times. And I remember when I was young, I was a little more immature, so I would teach this. I would open up this message about, I have, a, I have an end time warning for people, you know. And so that would get them all geared up, you know, get them paying attention real good. Then I'd come in with this Cora and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, I was immature back then. Now I'm way beyond that. But, <laughs> but Jude is Jesus' little brother. You guys know that? Which is so great. But the book of Jude, it's like it's really just one little letter. So there's no chapters, it's just verses. 17 or 25. But, you know, Jude literally talks about it was Jesus who led Israel out of Egypt. That's Jude verse 5. I want to remind you that you once knew this, that the Lord Jesus was the one who saved the people out of Egypt. It's interesting. So here's Jesus', Jesus little brother literally talking about his, his brother basically as being God of the Old Testament, <laughs> leading people out of the wilderness. And, you know, that, and if you circle that word five in verse 5, Lord, and you click on it, you'll see what I'm talking about. That, the, the, old, the oldest translation of that is the Lord Jesus. King James didn't like that, so they, they kind of were pushing something different a little bit, you know, that bipolar vibe. So they, they kind of want to split them up a little bit, but that's God, you know. ESV will do it. Most of your King James will have a little thing on there. If it doesn't, the message probably won't, though, but, you know, uh, you know. And he literally starts talking about things. He literally starts quoting a bunch of Enoch verses and, and a bunch of stories of Enoch in verse 7 about, you know, in verse 6 and 7, the angels who didn't keep their proper domain, he starts, he, he starts leading into the story of Genesis 6 and going into the wilderness and talking about their partnerships and talking about how Michael the archangel was fighting, fighting with the devil over Moses' body in verse 9. It's just like, where's the, that's not in our Bible, Jude. You know what I mean? But he, he obviously had it on pretty high authority. So this is, this is our history, but Jude's talking about these things in, in the wilderness. But he goes in verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. This warning of the end, like the way of Cain, the religious brother, the, the one who, who worked by the, by, the, by the sweat of his brow and offered his, 
his sacrifice to the Lord would be so jealous that his brother Abel's sacrifice was accepted um, that he killed his brother. You know, they've gone the way of Cain. In other words, they've, they've became, they've become uh, jealous um, and religious. And they've run greedily in the heir of Balaam, which is another story in the book of Numbers, which we won't have time to uh, for today. But, but Balaam was this prophet. He's kind of a pagan prophet. But he was hired um, by a king that was very insecure about Israel, walking through the wilderness here in Numbers, right after this story, actually, a little while after this. And he kept hiring the guy and paying him money to curse him. So he kept taking the king's money to try to go before God and curse those people, but he kept getting blocked. But he kept doing it because he kept getting money. So anyhow, that's funny. But the error of Balaam is actually people who minister who are motivated by money, not the plans and purposes of the kingdom. And so I don't know if you knew that that happens, but it does happen every once in a while. Um, but then the prophet, I mean, for prophet, but, he, but they have perished, it says, in the rebellion of Korah. Verse 11 says this, and so there are spots in your love feast. You know, they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. And how Enoch ends up prophesying about them, you know, so he starts quoting Enoch in verse 14. It's such a crazy kind of cool book. It's one of my favorites, but I guess I didn't prepare to do that today. But anyhow, he's quoting the story of, of Numbers and of Korah and of the people of God who got to the point where they were actually that they were actually so fearful of moving in and the goodness of God to have their backs that they tried to steer the entire ship. Yes. And, in, and in my opinion, this is, this is the root of so many of the splits of denominations and churches and the different types of churches that we have in the world because there's, there's been agreements made about what we'll tolerate or there, there, there's agreements made, hey, we, can, we don't have to go all this way, what the Bible says about this stuff. We can actually just take the points we like and and kind of play it safe over here you know what i mean um you know that that seems to kind of happen but there's something to to that being swallowed up in this book and in jude's book of of kind of warning about it to where the lord is leading us to a place where this this the tongue of the enemy is not found in our household the tongue of the language of complaining and doubt and unbelief is rid from us you know, Ephesians 4, like, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. You know, but also, even in a story like this, accusation is, it truly is a step-up sign of authority so often. And it's, it's not to those who partner with it, but when it starts to come at you and steer you, you understand you are at the top end of a promotion that's coming for you. Yeah. And that's what was happening to Moses, and that's what was happening to his body. You know, it's because this thing that was trying to steer was a last-ditch effort to try to steer. And so it was projecting things that were not true, just like Satan constantly did in the wilderness. And so if this is something, maybe it's even going on in your life or has gone on in your life recently, one of the most brilliant things, just like Jesus did when he was in front of Caiaphas, Pilate, and all these other guys, the thing about Moses did, is just like they did not defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. If you do not defend yourself, your defender is going to show up. But if you defend yourself, you have to, you, you, then you have to go into the courtroom and play the game. And we don't, we're not even there. Because we've heard the... We've heard the, That's my gavelin or whatever those little hammers. That, that was my impression of that. <laughs> we've, heard, we've heard the verdict. It's not guilty. Forgiven. Yeah, that's you know, the justification. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what that means. The reality that he was raised from the dead proved we've been made righteous with God. We're walking this thing out. 
You know what I mean? So, so all the projections, all the stuff that the enemy tries to get us to, back, to spin our wheels back into, it's like we don't, we don't go into that, man. Yeah. We don't go into that. Let the world swallow that. Come on, you know what I'm saying? And the light of God, the light of Psalm 37 is a brilliant one. Don't fret because of evildoers who prosper in their way. Just understand that the, the, the sun will shine on you like the noonday sun. And, and you'll, you know, it pays off, man, to walk with a tongue. You know, there's something to learning to, to tame our tongue, right? You know, James says it's like, he, you know, t- if you tame your tongue, you know, the, t- the tongue is like a rudder. It's like a fire. It's all these things. But he says something interesting about the tongue. Like he who tames his tongue is a whole man. He's a complete man. And that word is teleos. It, it literally just means um, that he is complete, like he's mature. And so Christian maturity is somebody whose mouth is yielded to the Lord. That's James 3. We stumble in many ways, but if they don't stumble in word, if somebody doesn't, he's a perfect, mature man who's able to bridle the whole body. And this is the growth of the people of God. Yeah. And so I want to proclaim a fast for us in this coming weeks. I've done this in years before. And I know we all love eating because this is Texas and we like them barbecues and all that. But the fast for our church that I want to proclaim is a fast from anything negative that would come out of our mouth. Oh, and I want, to, I want us to hold each other accountable in our houses. It's just like, hey, Nicole, if I say something that's hot and negative, even a little bit, even if it's about myself, gosh, I'm an idiot. Don't say that. That was an example. I'm not calling myself an idiot, but I do that sometimes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, I've already, oh, man. No. <laughs> but you, you, you know what I'm saying. It's just like the maturing process of God is those who, that complaining and that negativity is the language of a fearful person and, and the language of unbelief. And if we start catching it before it comes out of our mouth, if we're mindful enough that we realize when it comes, we'll realize like, hey, there's some grids, there's some fear that I shouldn't have. I, we're, the grid that we're called to have, that we walk the mindset is incredibly hopeful and it does not limit God. Any prophetic word that's given to me that limits me or God in any way in my life, I know that it's, it's been tainted by the vessel from which it came, from the person who brought it. It's like, oh, that's your grid, not mine. I won't come under that. But you, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, it's the words of the Lord have no cap on your life. When he talks to you, it has, there's never a limit. There's never a cap. Just never is. It's the way he is, you know, and he has no ego. He's not buttering you up because he is truth. It's just a brilliant, brilliant thing about him. But, um, you know, we're called to walk in, in this wholeness in this walk, completely free from all the projection, all the negativity, and even down all the way to the level of accusation. You know what I mean? Having it completely um, out of our vocabulary. I think that's a, a good safe way to land old Cora's rebellion even as now. Um, because it, it, it goes further, but I don't want to, you know, I think we've got some meat in there. Um, let's see. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think we do have it. I think, I think it's good. I think um, Matthew 7, we'll close with the, this verse. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He who hears the words of the Lord and does them is like somebody who builds his house on a rock. And it doesn't, no matter what, no kind of storm comes, and beats on the house, the house will stay because it's built on the rock. Amen. And they sang that song today, actually, the one they wrote, the first one. They wrote them both, but, you know. But he who does not hear the Lord and doesn't follow through 
is like somebody who built his house on sand. And just like the Cora incident, you know, that's not a great place to have your house. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something to hearing his true voice and following through, not letting fear, insecurity, projection, accusation come and steer us out of our lane. Because the lane that, that, that we are on as a body and as individual believers is the lane to being fruitful, multiplying, and thriving in life. Yeah. Well, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And even that we can see the lens uh, of Jesus, see through your lens into all these people and all that they've walked through. Lord, I thank you for the lessons of the Old Testament just as well as the New, and that we can see them through you. And Lord, I ask that the, the wisdom of heaven would be found amongst us and that we would come into partnership with everything that is of you, that are even in our tongues and in our mouths, that we would only speak those things which edify, which build up, which project your reality into this reality. Help us to be mindful of those times when we come into agreement with something that's not you so that we can break that agreement and break those cycles. Yeah. Amen.